Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com. Um, but I'm going to do my very best this morning to just step out of the way and share some really amazing stuff God's given me. Um, and I hope that impacts your heart because I really believe what I have to say is, is, is nothing. Uh, but what God has taught me and showed me as I've studied this is has changed my life just in the last few weeks. I've never prepared for a sermon before where uh, God has just, just poured out more than I could even say. Uh, all the sermons I've ever given have been kind of a struggle and a wrestling match of like, okay, God, would you give me something? Is this it? Write on an outline. Well, maybe it's not that and change this. And it's really down to the wire. This, three days after he asked me to consider coming down, we didn't have a date. We didn't have a topic. I was sitting in church back home, and it was just like a bolt of lightning. God, there was like a verse on the screen, and God was like, write this. And I opened my iPad, and I just started typing. This is how I type. Um, And kind of almost rudely to the pastor who's preaching, but I'm trying to do it quietly. My wife leans over and goes, what are you, are you writing your sermon for Light Church? And I go, yeah, you don't know me. So this, this stuff is actually very simple and very straightforward and something that we've heard before, very similar to last week, hearing about John 3, 16. But it's dynamically changed my perspective on my relationship with God. And I, I prayed to ask him into my heart when I was three. But I've never heard or seen some of these things before. So before we read through the scripture, I wanted to pray and ask God to open our hearts. Um, kind of the theme or the point of this sermon is hydration and water. Right, we're going to look at the woman at the well, going there because she's thirsty. So i just like to pray over us that we come thirsty this morning. God, I pray that however we walked in this morning, whatever uh, we were carrying inside the sponge of our hearts, I pray that you would ring out, you'd clear, clear all that room out, God, that we would be able to absorb you. Um, just the literal definition of hydration is the ability to absorb water. God, we want, we want to take something in this morning from your scripture, from the truth that stays with us, that we can carry out into Monday and Wednesday and Friday and all the other days of the week. So please, God, please just right now in this moment, would you reset our minds and our hearts to be focused on you? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we're reading John 4 today. Uh, The funny thing, funny, hmm, not funny, ha-ha, was that Benji asked me to think about coming down. Uh, I told him, I'll think about it, um, but let me pray about it and talk to Sam. And it really was my excuse to try and find a way to say no. Uh, My wife heard that he'd invited me because she was sitting in the room. And I get off the phone, and she's got this smile on her face. Like, you need to do that. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. God gives me something. You know, if, if X, Y, Z happens over the next few days, we'll plan. I'll go down. And, but really, preaching is really a struggle for me because I get super anxious and nervous. And then when I get up here, I just feel like God gives me peace. And so here we go. Uh, but what's really cool, uh, the funny story, is that Benji asked me to speak. He gave me a few different dates to look at. And when we finally picked one, he said, oh, so that'll be our John series. So it looks like we'll be on John chapter 4 which is one of my favorite, favorite stories 
uh, to quote and to cite. This woman at a well and how drastically changed her life is because Jesus is there that day. That before that, every day had been the same. She'd always return to this well. But that this, this woman sits down and, or Jesus sits down and offers her something she's never been offered before. I love that. I use that story all the time. So when Benji said, oh, you're coming down the 16th? Well, that's John 4. I was like, okay, God. Like, I can't back out of this one. Um, so here we go, John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse uh, 4. I'll read the whole thing. Now, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and set out once more for Galilee. But he had to pass through Samaria. Remember that part. Now he came to a Samaritan town called Sychar near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. The footnote here in my word is that, and they probably took the bucket with them. So he's sitting at a well, thirsty, no bucket. Woman shows up. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you had known the gift of God and who it was who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket. And the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But that water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. He said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, right you are when you said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the man you are living with now is not your husband. This you said truthfully. Note that as, as kind of sarcastic as Jesus is being, that he's not condemning, right? He, he could have gone there as a rabbi. But he's just saying, I know you. I'm not, I'm not reporting you to the local synagogue. I'm not condemning the life that you've lived. We're not, but I know. I know you. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you people say that the place where people worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because the salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit and the people who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now at that very moment, his disciples came back. They were shocked because he was speaking with a woman. However, no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? 
Then the woman left her water jar, went off into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left the town and began coming to him. Skip ahead to verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with them. He stayed there two days, and because of his word, many more believed. They said to the woman, no longer do we believe because of your words, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this one really is the Savior of the world. The point of this story is Jesus. The point of every story is Jesus. The point of my story is Jesus. And I, I forget that a lot. <laughs> and if you're like me, sometimes I think the point of the story is my paycheck. Sometimes I think the point of my story is, is trying to make my marriage just thrive and do, go well. Trying to be a good dad. Trying to be a good neighbor. Um, there are so many things asking for our attention, asking for our focus, asking for our participation, uh, that we start to lose sight of what our story is about. There's so much urgency presented to us uh, by the world that we start to feel like, who am I in this story? What should I be doing? Am I the protagonist or the antagonist? What's the end goal? How do I even measure if I'm successful? How do I measure if, I'm win if I win? All of that changes when we realize that this story that we're in is about Jesus. I almost titled this um, Hydration, the Woman at the Well, because that's what it's labeled in the chapter four, right? The woman at the well, that's the story. Uh, but then I, I realized this is actually about Jesus. So I call this hydration Jesus meets us at our wells. Because see, if it was the story of the woman at the well, then that story was already told a thousand times. That was her day the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that. That was the woman at the well. Again, last Tuesday and last month, because they ran out of water because they drank water to survive. And so she went back to the well. So the story of the woman at the well would be super boring, right? So let's, let's move on to the story of Jesus at the well because that's the day her life changed. John writes this gospel and brings our focus back simply on Jesus, right? This whole series is life to the full, that if you believe that Jesus brings life to the full, so when we read this story and we look for Jesus in it, instead of watching the woman or what the disciples do, I see a new picture. I learn things. If you get nothing else this morning, please hear and know that God, like you heard last week, so loved the you that he gave his only son. I mean, if you don't hear anything else this morning in the sermon, if you just want to listen to this point and then take a nap, I don't mind. I give you permission, okay? Ask the person next to you before leaning on their shoulder. Uh, but then go for it. But if, if that's it, just to know, to just deeply, deeply know, God really, really loves you. He showed up at that well to meet with that woman because he loved her. He shows up at the wells of your workplace, of your gym, of your car dealership, of your uh, favorite coffee shop, and he sits there and wants to meet with you. And we just, we miss him because we don't remember that this story is about him. Everywhere we go, if we're watching for him, we're watching for moments, we're watching for conversations, the story changes. But I forget. I get so distracted. We forget that he wants our attention. Jesus wants active day-to-day -day friendship with us. He wants to go on your errands with you. I love what Benji said last week, that his love for us 
is not because we are lovely, but his love for us makes us lovely. That is a life-changing love. He is like almost on the verge of just obsessed with every part of who we are. And when we remember that, we start to find identity and value and purpose in the places that we go, in the work that we do, in the parenting that we do, in the friendships that we create. When we realize that first and foremost, our focus is on Jesus and we see him smiling back at us. I don't know how many times I've pictured Jesus and then pictured him smiling at me. Right? It's usually either like a stern face or kind of stoic, just all powerful, maybe not even angry. But like, have you ever just stopped and pictured Jesus just smiling because he's glad to see you? So would you start this morning by taking away an encouragement to rehydrate on the truth of God's love? Don't let your mind lie and say, oh, I already know that part. Come on, pastor. Let's, well, I'm not a pastor, but come on, preacher. Let's move on to the uh, actionable tips at the end where you give me homework and I can go work on it on Monday. Um, we'll get there, I promise. But just with me, just stop for a minute and really, really soak in the fact that Jesus loves you for two reasons. One is we won't ever fully grasp the depths of God's love. If we're sitting here today and going, okay, no, no, I got that. I got the John 3.16, heard Benji's sermon last week, spent some time soaking it up this week, so I'm good. I don't need to like go deeper into that because I get God's love. It's not true. It's so deep and so powerful. Uh, my daughter, when she was like six years old, a couple of years ago, we're talking about pizza toppings or something, and she pauses for a minute and she goes, Dad, God is just a little much. And I, I panicked at first, like, oh man, I'm not raising my daughter right? Like, how disrespectful is that? I'm sorry, Jesus. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't know. Like, and then I thought, no, that, and but thankfully, before I corrected her, because she was correct, I stopped and went, that's true. He is a lot of much. <laughs> and I'm not teaching you grammar. Let your mom do that. But that's true. If we really push into who Jesus is, it should start to overwhelm us a little bit. We should start to go, oh, dang, you're, you're really just massive and perfect and love me. That's a lot of much. So number one, we won't ever fully comprehend that. And if you think you have, please pause and just ask God to just show you a deeper level of what that is. And number two is that kind of more of a question, have you let God love you in a knowing way? Where Jesus sits down at this well with a woman and says, hey, I've got living water that I offer you freely. Notice that he offers it to her before talking about her past or talking about her shame. Straight out of the gate, number one offer. Don't clean up your life first, just I have life-giving water and you won't be thirsty again. He starts with the offer of relationship. But then here's what I love, is that she takes it literally, right? He says living water, translated back then, would have meant like flowing water. Like maybe he knew of an artesian spring nearby or a river. And so her, her reaction is literal. You don't have a bucket, bro. Like, even if you do know where some water is, because this is my town, not yours, you're a Jew, but even if you knew where some water is, you can't get some literal water. Jesus says, no, no, no. My water doesn't leave you thirsty. And she starts to get it. She goes, oh, she's still kind of literal, but she goes, I'll take it. 
give me some of that water. And then she goes literal again. So I don't have to come back to this well. And Jesus is like, I'm not talking about H2O. So he explains that it's, it will actually become a spring within you, that it's like bigger than that. And she says, give it to me. And he says, okay, let me show you how much I love you. Go get your husband. And her heart sinks, right? She knows her history. She knows who she's living with. She thinks she's hid that from him and gotten away with this offer of life-giving water. Jesus says, no, no, I know. And I'm still offering you life-giving water. I know you and I love you. I know the depths of who you are, of what you've done. I know the depths of what makes you think you're not good enough. And I love you. So can we pause? Can that just be... The only point we take away, if we take away nothing else, that Jesus loves us in a knowing way. And really just just realign our focus to look at Jesus. Peter is able to walk on water in Matthew 14. Lucky dog. I wish I could do that. That is one of my most jealous miracles that I wish I could have been a part of. I was listening to the waves on the beach last night, just kind of going over my outline. And... uh, and just thinking, you know, maybe I'll go try that out. I'll go climb down there and walk. That's a bad idea. I'm only in town for 24 hours, so I don't have that many changes of clothing. Um, it would not be fun to preach in salty, wet clothing this morning. So I didn't try it. But I've always, always, always been so jealous of Peter that he got to be in this boat. All the other disciples are going, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. There's, there's a ghost walking on the water. And Peter goes, hey, if that's you, Jesus... Tell me to get out. And he gets out and stands on the water. Man, even just to see it, I wish I could go back. And he steps out, takes his other foot out of the boat, and he's walking on water. He can do that because his eyes and his gaze are fixed on Jesus. And he steps towards him and walks towards him and keeps his eyes and his focus on him and on Jesus and not on the process and not on the waves and not on the storm and not on anything else back into what happens next later in the sermon, but can we start there? Can we start this morning going, okay, Jesus, there's a lot of theology. There's a lot packed into scripture. There's a lot of programs that we can participate in. There's a lot that we can do to, to gather together and to help hurting people in the community. Those are all super, super important, but can we just pause the trying and the doing just, just for a minute to just go, you are much. I just want to be close to you. Because if we do that, we get to move into point number two, which is the result of doing that. The result of Jesus meeting the woman at the well is hydration, right? Her hydration in a deep way that just changes her life to the point where she's lived a life that is shameful and she goes running into the town to tell anyone else about it, even if they didn't know about it, even if she still had some secrecy and some kind of, she just goes, hey guys, he knows everything I did and just told me about it. You got to come meet this guy because she's hydrated and becomes a well that overflows inside of her. A fountain of springing, of water springing up to eternal life. See, Jesus doesn't just satisfy our innermost thirst so that we can fill up and walk out and go, that felt good and just kind of ride that high, right? Of, of I had an emotional, like relational, spiritual interaction with Jesus, and so then I get kind of tired and burnt out, and well, I need, I need another one. We are not water balloons. Spoiler alert. I don't know if you thought you were a water balloon when you walked in this morning, but you're not. Um, 
if we hooked up to a faucet out there with a water balloon, turned the faucet on, and then turned it off and tied it, we'd have a water balloon. Uh, if we left it on a faucet and left the faucet on, the water balloon would pop. It's literally what happens with a fountain if you try to cap a fountain off. It will just keep shoving the water out till it gets through. When connected to the source, we get filled up as an extension of God's irrigation system. I'm going to get a little bit landscape nerdy. Lands, uh, landscape irrigation nerdy, if you're into that. Uh, the first house we bought was trenching hell for me, okay? Now, I like getting dirty and, and working in the yard, so actually it wasn't hell. It was a blast. Hundreds and hundreds of feet of trenches to put PVC and sprinklers in because when we bought our house in the Encinitas of Nevada, <laughs> uh, it didn't yet look like the Encinitas of Nevada. It was just lots of desert scapes. And there's some good trees in Boulder City, but I, it's not like this. And I grew up in San Diego with Benji and the beach and the trees. And, um, so we bought our first house. I told my wife, I need grass. She goes, it's a desert. I go, I need grass. We will run the water 24-7 if that's what it takes. But I need, she goes, well, we can get some like nice fake turf. And I'm like, that's not grass. I need grass. So she said, okay, you're, you're doing it then. Um, and so I was out there and dug and trenched and ran piping from the main source over these dirt and rocks that was just not pretty desert scape. It was like abandoned ghetto, um, hurt yourself dirt, okay? It was not fun. Um, and we, we got it ready and we leveled it and we pulled the rocks out and we trenched water lines and we went and bought truckloads and truckloads of sod, just instant grass and you roll it out and it looks like a green carpet of grass. And, um, in Nevada, you've got about 12 hours before it turns into brown crispy. So because I had done the work to run the irrigation, I turned the sprinklers on as soon as we finished that last piece of sod, probably even before because we were dying a heat stroke, um, and watered the grass. And then the next morning, watered the grass. And then at lunchtime, watered the grass. And then at dinner time, and I had a timer, so it wasn't me watering the grass. But the point was, that irrigation, all that tubing was all connected to a source for a purpose, to share and to spread and to give life, to water this tree that when we bought the house, I was pretty sure it was dead. Uh, it had just this big thick stock or trunk and it looked like it had been around for a long time and one little green shooter like this. Everything else had been cut off and was dead and dying and I could literally pull up and pull branches off. It was so old and crispy. But I told my wife, I gotta get that tree back. She's like, okay, you're crazy, but go for it. And so my father-in-law showed me how to cut PVC at an angle and nail it into the ground really deep and run a hose to it. We got the tree back, we had the grass. I remember Benji and Jen coming out to visit and going, your house? Your yard is like an oasis in the desert. It's just lush and green and beautiful because it got watered, because it was connected to a source. We can participate that in our own, in our own lives. Jesus calls us in and says, step one, let me let you know that I love you. Let's just, let's just me and you. I know you. I love you deeply. Hydrate. Receive this water that I'm giving you, but don't just hold on to it. With all the excitement that that brings to know that you're loved deeply, pass it on. Go spread it. Grow some grass. Jesus tells the woman at the well to go get her husband for two reasons. One, like I said, is to make sure she knows that he can satisfy her deeper heartfelt thirst for love and identity that she's been looking for in relationships. Right? He starts there. He says, hey, I know that you don't know who you are and that you've just been in and out of relationships and that 
that's where that's your go-to, and that's where you are trying to find this thirst met. But I've got something that will satisfy it, and you won't have to go back and go back and go back. But the second reason he, he tells her to go get her husband, who's not her husband, but her boyfriend, is because we, if we were in the middle of a drought, again, in California, right? Because you guys just got out of one. You guys, me. I grew up in San Diego. I'm going to say us. Um, but let's, let's just pretend for a minute, just go on a little mini journey with me, that we get into another drought. And let's just pretend. Now, this is pretend land, so don't worry about all the dynamics. I'm over-analytical, so I see holes in my own analogies. But just ride with me for a minute, okay? Pretend we're at Disneyland and this is all fake. So... You're in a drought, another drought hits, and it's really bad. It's worse than the last one, to the point where there is no fresh water at any tap in the whole city. And so they start trucking in bottles of water and stuff, and then something happens to the point where we can't even get bottled water. And so we're at day one of this crisis, right? This national emergency to get Southern California water. And you can really only go three days without water before like, people start dying. And then we're at day two, and it starts getting desperate, right? People are trying to find some way, and there's just not one, so don't think there is one. There's no way to get water to these people. It's day two. Let's say you're walking by Light Church, and you see a fire hydrant, and it's just on and flowing, and somehow you just know that's drinkable water, and it's the only source, and it's tons of it. The first thing you do, because it's day two, and you're about to die of dehydration, is run over and just, just shove your face in that fire hydrant and drink as much as you can, as fast as you can. But the very next thing you would do would be to just run all over town, telling everyone, Instagram Live, right? You would just be texting people, uh, shouting on top of your car, like, guys, 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 we got water. Like, tell the news crews, get everybody down here. It's enough for everyone. We can save lives. That's real. People are dying of thirst in this city in a deep spiritual way that hurts almost worse than physical death. Their marriages, their jobs, their, their identity as a person is just suffering because they are not connected to the life-giving water. And so they try really hard every day to be a good person. And they try really hard to find purpose. And they try really hard to figure out what their story's about. But nobody's there telling them it's about Jesus. And Jesus is life-giving water. And he turns into a fountain inside of you so that you can go tell other people about Jesus. It all gets so exciting. It goes from death to life. Because we participate, because we plug in, and because we don't cap it off. We don't water balloon ourselves. Don't be a water balloon. And if you, if you have water ballooned, can I just say I've water ballooned? I've known God's goodness for seasons and years and decades of my life where I haven't said anything and I haven't let God move me to do something about it. And I've popped and, and, and felt useless and God's put the pieces back together just like the song we sang. He found my pieces and he put me back together. Now here's what I love about this. Light church goal number one is that we want to be with Jesus, right? That was point number one. Sorry, I don't have any slides today. This is um, one of God's challenges to me for this because I always have slides and they're always bomb. Like they're always so good. And I think because of my pride, God is like, this time you're just going to talk and people are going to stare at you. And I'm like, ah, oh, come on. Um, but it was my fault for not preparing in time. So, um, 
So point, so light church goal number one is to be with Jesus, right? Throw back to point number one, Jesus, Jesus. Just focus on him. He wants to be with you. Start there, live there. Only if that's happened, let's move on to number two, which is the results. The results of being in line with Jesus, hydration of those around us, a fountain, right? Um, here's what I love is that Jesus gives us light church goal number two in that we want to be like Jesus. We go back up to uh, the opening of John 4. We read in verse 4, but he had to pass through Samaria. And I've always read that at face value as, okay, I don't know ancient Judean geography. So he was in Judea. He had to go somewhere else. And so he had to go through Samaria. Straight shot. Bye. Um, he actually didn't geographically have to go through Samaria to get there. It wasn't anywhere near the shortest route. It was actually a roundabout way. And so I'm sure to the disciples, they started out from Judea, right? Kind of running from the Pharisees who are like, hey, you're getting more disciples than John. Let's arrest you. And so Jesus is like, guys, we got to go. So they head out and they get to the fork in the road where it's like, next stop or Samaria. And his disciples start walking down to next stop land, being very efficient with their directions and knowing the way. And Jesus is like, no, no, it's right. And they're like, okay, Jesus, that's funny. But that's, that's actually literally like the opposite way that we need to go. You said we need to go to this town. He's like, I know, but I have to go here. What's crazy about John is when he uses that phrase, had to, it's always in reference to a move of God's spirit or of a directing of what God is saying needs to happen next. And never about just the efficiency of getting to the next to-do list item. And that only comes in relationship with Jesus. Jesus had to go. He had to pass through Samaria. Not because it was the fastest way or the most efficient, but because there was a woman that he knew would be walking out to a well at noon who was deeply, deeply thirsty and not just for water. And he knew that the town she came out of was also just dying and thirsty and excluded from the Judeo tradition, right? Because they were Samaritans or mudbloods for Harry Potter fans. And they weren't allowed to share or participate in this promise, right? According to how the Jews had set up, no, you're outcasts. The promise comes from us. Jesus knew there is this group of people that is feeling alienated and thirsty and dying of thirst. And I need to go here. This is my next itinerary on my three-year plan of my ministry, but I had to go here first. And he goes out of his way to get to us at our wells. My mom to this day prays about everything, uh, which was frustrating as a teenager because it was, God, please catch my kids when they do bad things. And then he would. The police would bring me home. Um, <laughs> Uh, but she'll pray, and she has always done this since we were kids, about which grocery store line to stand in. I don't know if Benji's told the story already, probably, maybe, about which parking spot to take, um, and she'll go for it. And sometimes that means the longest grocery store line. But she would come home, and we'd have dinner at night together, and she'd go, guys, you'll never believe the story today. <laughs> and by like the time we were seven or eight, nine years old, we're like, okay, mom, what is it? Here's another one. 
Tell us what happened. And she goes off on these dynamic, just crazy stories about how she met this woman. And the woman was the president of this Fortune 500 company, but she didn't know how to like run her family. And the woman just pours her life out to my mom. My mom's able to pray for her and offer her life-giving water that being a Fortune 500 CEO didn't provide. My mom was at her well, right? Because she went out of her way to stand in the longer grocery store line which is ridiculous to me. I can't wait, or I can't stand waiting, right? When I drove down here last night from Boulder City, I came straight here. I used Waze because it finds the detours if there's traffic, right? Just get me there. There's something really cool that can happen if we really want to be like Jesus. If we're sensitive to when he says, I know you really got to get to work on time, or I know you really got to go to that meeting or to that practice, But if something in your spirit says, I just have to detour right now. I just have to to actually stop at this coffee shop I've never been to and not order anything, but just look for somebody that's sad. That's being like Jesus. And it's really hard to do in our culture and day and age because everything is about efficiency. Every blog post we read, every book is like how to do more with less time and how to get through it faster and how to hire people that can do the things so that you can do more things um, as fast as you can. Like cut out the things that don't matter, right? Jesus is saying, add some things that don't look like they matter. You're getting a text from somebody about some event that's coming up and you can in 13 tenths of a second text back the thumbs up emoji, right? It's already in your favorites. Bam, sent. But what if you had to Like, slide your thumb up and tap on their face and hit call. Okay, yes, that's the right time, but how are you doing today? That's a had to that might turn into a 45-minute call that might interrupt your day, but it might also totally change that person's week or month or life. This is who Jesus is for us. He goes out of his way to find us at our wells, and he asks us to be like him. He asks us to go out of our way Because we had to. Because we have to? No, because we had to. It's confusing, but I think you get what I'm saying. Because there's just something inside of us that says, Jesus was so good to me. He went out of his way to find me. Then he told me, I know. I know everything about you from day one, and I love you. So I I can't know that love and not go out of my way to show it to somebody. Pray and watch and listen for your had to's might come through as I was heading to my usual coffee spot and just felt like I had to drive past it and grab a slice of pizza. Sure, it's 9.30 a.m. And I'm not hungry because I just had a breakfast burrito. But I just, I just had to. God's got a great sense of humor in how he works some of these, out, these things out. Most of my mom's stories were hilarious, but personal and relational. And it's super fun to participate in. Something I'm super bad at, but need to get better at. Jesus had to take the long way so that a woman could be seen and known and loved and hear about life-giving water so that an entire town would then hear from that woman who's one of the first harbingers of the gospel, right? One of the first preachers is this woman who in Jewish culture and even in some parts of our culture, like women are still fighting for the right to be like just people, right? We are humans. We're all given the Great Commission. We should all be sharing this in some corners of this world that's still pressed down, break through that because the, one of the very first ones 
that delivers the gospel, the good news of life-giving water, is a woman to her entire town. And hundreds and thousands of people come and get saved because of her word, of her testimony for preaching. She pastors that town. So if you feel unqualified for any reason, stop. The only qualification you need is to know that Jesus loves you and to repeat that message to others. Now I want... Sorry, I get real passionate about this stuff. I want to end at the beginning. Because it's critical to our survival as followers of Jesus, as effective members of a community, to return to focusing on him. Life church goal number three is to do what Jesus does, right? And I, I don't know about you, but I am almost too good at doing things that I think Jesus would want me to do. Right at going, oh, doing things that Jesus died like he did. He healed people and he fed um, the hungry and he uh, went certain places and taught really well. And so like I've got a program and I've got a list and I've got things that I'm going to do. And maybe all of those things are good things. But something that Jesus did a lot of that I didn't even realize was something we should emulate is disappear. Sometimes in the middle of a flood of people that were like, oh, heal us, we got more. We got more sick people. Wait, where's, where'd Jesus go? Well, I just went and grabbed everybody from the next town over. And he has escaped up into the hills to refocus and to just go, okay, I, all day long, I've got three and a half years of ministry in the flesh, right? His ministry has not stopped. But I've got physically standing here three and a half years. I've got I've to touch every single person that I can and speak words of healing and, and raise some more dead kids. And like, Jesus could have been that friend, right? He had enough to do that he should have never taken a vacation or even a weekend away. But he did all the time. Regularly, regularly, people are looking for him and finding him away in the hillside, praying in the quiet and reconnecting with his father. And going, God, their urgency is not my priority. You are my priority. And out of you being my priority, I feel urgent to go and to serve them. It's just kind of this reverse perspective. It's Peter, right, getting out of the boat and walking towards Jesus. They're miraculous. I'm super jealous. And my jealousy stops when he starts sinking. I don't want to to be part of that part because that's terrifying. Big storm, waves, like you're going to drown. Benji's always been a better surfer than I have. Uh, So when I get knocked over, I panic a little bit, but I get back on and I go try and catch the next wave. I would not want to be in the middle of a lake in a storm and walking towards Jesus and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm walking on water. Oh my gosh, Jesus, I'm coming towards you. Okay, well, there's like 30 feet between me and you. If I look down and take a bigger step, I can... And missing it because we become concerned with the process. Because we start focusing on the... What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I sign up for? What can I do? Those should happen. Those are the results of what should happen, but they can't be the focus where we sink. We get burned out and and we over sign up and we overcommit. Jesus wants us to live in in a unrushed, peaceful, confident place that only comes from us reconnecting with him. And he he modeled that for us in the middle of a career that should have been the most hurried, the most urgent, the most panicked. He said, no, I've got to keep my focus on my father because I only do what I see him do. 
I only say what I hear him say. And so as hard as it is in our culture, it's super important to refocus, to quiet our to-do list, to quiet our mind and say, okay, but God, I've got 72,000 things on my to-do list. Let's spend some time together. I'm going to listen to the sermon last week on John 3.16. And I'm going to listen to Benji read the end of Romans 8 over my life. That nothing can separate me from God's love. And I'm just going to meditate on that. There are so many studies that are finding this surprising concept that we actually become more productive if we can find ways to do less. That, that productivity is not on a perfect line upward of if I spend 60 hours this week doing something, great. If I spend 120, then I get twice as much done. No, you actually get less done because you burn yourself out and take the next week off sick. There's something God has hardwired into our DNA that needs to just pause and refocus on who Jesus is. Here's what I love, and here's what we'll close with. Um, we're gonna sing through... Um, that tag, uh, you never, you're never going to let me go. But we're going to change the words to, you're never going to let me drown. Because here's what happened. Jesus let Peter sink. He like watched it happen. Pete was walking, walking, walking. The only disciple that believed enough to come to him. And Jesus watches him walk and watches him sink down in the water. As Peter, I'd be going, what the heck? Right? But but Pete's not because he's looking at the wave. I called him Pete. Can I do that? He's sinking into the water and he remembers to glance up and Jesus is right there and pulls him out of the water. So if we can remember in the midst of kind of the chaos of our lives and of the productivity of things that are really good, that, that our source, our point, our focus needs to be Jesus, he'll meet us where we are. Who knows how far off Jesus was when Pete started to sink. But the next thing he knows, Jesus is right there. And Peter was doing it wrong. Peter messed up. And Jesus said, I'm coming to where you are. I'm pull you out. Let's do this again. Get back in the boat. Right? The last supper, the night before. Pete's still thinking about the process and how to do it in his own human way. They go out into the garden and, and they say, uh, who's Jesus? And Jesus says, it's me. And they all fall down because he's so powerful. And then they say, who's Jesus? And he says, it's me, just arrest me. And Peter takes his sword out and chops the guy's ear off because Pete's like, I can do this in my own strength. I got this. I got process. I got plans. I can do this. And his heart is right, right? He wants to protect Jesus, which sounds so silly. He wants to protect Jesus. He wants to do what Jesus wants him to do. But if we're not watching what Jesus is doing, then we don't know what it is that he wants us to do. If the disciples had run off down the road towards their next town and said, Jesus, catch up, they would have missed him going to Samaria. So our focus has to be, our drive, our passion has to be, okay, Jesus, I just wanna, I wanna be close to you. I wanna be with you. I wanna be like you. And I want to do what you do. And sometimes that's not doing anything at all, but just sitting. When we start to sink, we can remember, he's not going to let us drown. Because we're going to mess this cycle up. We're going to sink again. I do it all the time. I think I got it. I think I can do it. Last night I had 
three or four docs of notes and verses and stories and uh, ran through it, practiced it, and just felt terrible. This is going to be terrible. This is wrong. These are the wrong things. And not in a self-deprecating way. Like, it was legit. Like, there were parts that was like, don't say that in church. Um, And so I woke up this morning and started a fresh doc because I had made it so much about the process and my own ability that it was, it was the wrong way to go. And so now I have this, this outline of what God said were the important things to share. And top of the list is Jesus and relationship with him, that he's not going to let us sink. So we're in two different places right now. And we move back and forth between these places. Some of us feel like Peter right now, like we're just sinking. We stepped out of the boat, God, and we're, we're trying to find you and trying to get you. We're doing the right things. And I was even watching the waves and the wind so I didn't get knocked over so I could get to you. Like the, the point is I'm getting to you, God. And it just feels like we're about to drown. So I'd love for us to sing this tag that he's not ever gonna let us drown. That he's so good that he'll pull us back out And let us get to be part of the hydration of our city, of life-saving, life-giving, marriage-healing, hope-giving forgiveness. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. Thank you.